Well, good morning and welcome to Southwinds. It's so good to see everybody. We are uh, launching, beginning our brand new series, The Power of Habits, today, and here's why. As we begin a new year, uh, most of us are more open than ever to change, making change, seeing change in our lives. We're looking for a fresh start, and we're hoping for new beginnings. We make resolutions, and we try to change. But have you noticed ever in your life how often we fall short? Have you ever noticed if, like, you go to the gym, you know, in January, and then you happen to still go to the gym in February, there's nobody there anymore? <laughs> um, why does this happen? Why do we make resolutions when we clearly desire to change? We really want to see God do things in our lives. And then so soon after we've made these commitments and these decisions, we find ourselves falling short. We find ourselves failing. Well, I think we're going to discover in these weeks that many times the answer is right here, right here with our habits. We don't know how habits work. And so we fail to leverage the power of habits in our lives, and we often find ourselves stuck, often in the same old habits, just doing what we've always done. Maybe you've thought about this, maybe you haven't, but so much of what we will do in the new year, these days, these weeks that are ahead of us, we're going to do by habit. Just give you one example. Think about where you're sitting right now. How many of you know that like when the first couple of weeks, you know, in this room, you picked your spot, you had your place, and that's where you're going to go? How many of you get a little annoyed when someone else thinks your spot is their spot? <laughs> See, this will explain to some of you why you've had these strange people, you didn't even know them, and they're looking at you kind of angry, and you were in their spot. You know, we, we're creatures of habit. We, we want to do the same things every time. A few years ago, there was a best-selling book published called The Power of Habit uh, by a writer named Charles Duhigg, and he cites research from Duke University that says that 40% of what we do every day, we do by habit. Now, this means, just work the math, if you're up 16 hours a day, that means at least six and a half hours every day, you're just living in your habits. Habits are crucial to everything we do in life. And the Bible actually tells us a great deal about habits. Once you begin to understand habits and the mechanics of habits and you begin to pay attention as you read the Bible, I, I'm just telling you, you're going to find uh, habits and you're going to see the power of habits all through the Scriptures. In fact, key passage for our series, I want to introduce it to you, read to you right now. We're going to come back to it throughout this series. is Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, maybe you've never thought about this before, but this passage is really all about habits. It, it warns us against the destruction that comes from sinful habits. It tells us that good and righteous habits, well, they lead to life. And it encourages us to keep on practicing righteous habits, promising us that if we don't give up in the living out of these habits, that God's going to reward the habits. Habits are actually a gift from God. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but they're really part of how 
God created us. I want to explain a few things about this to you this morning. I hope that you'll be able to take these through the series. Uh, the concept of habits really is very simple. It's something we experience so much in our lives. I think once you hear it, it's not going to surprise you. But the first thing I'll just give you is a definition of habits. It's, it's a choice that becomes automatic. A choice to think something or do something or say something. At some point in your past, that was a deliberate choice and you had to make it. You had to consciously think about thinking or saying or doing X. But as you repeat that conscious choice over and over and over again, at some point it becomes subconscious. At some point it becomes automatic. It's a habit. I don't know if you thought about it, but the truth is I'm confident I can say that you've been practicing habits all morning, right? Uh, you, you got up and got dressed and you ate your breakfast and you got ready to come to church. And just think back through how you did those things. Did you really have to think meticulously about how you put on each article of clothing? No. Uh, when you brushed your teeth, did you need to have conscious mental effort you know, into brushing each tooth, each individual tooth. No. Uh, while you were brushing your teeth and getting dressed, you were probably thinking about other things. You were probably thinking about seeing someone at church. You were probably anticipating how awesome the sermon was going to be. Um, that was a joke. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> you were probably thinking about your plans for the afternoon um, because those actions have become automatic. You don't have to think about them consciously anymore. And these, these kind of automatic decisions are really a huge part of how we live because so much of what we, we say and think and do is just the product of habits. Now, why are habits so widespread in life? And I think a good answer that I can give you is that's because how God created us. That's how God made your brain. In fact, I think we can say that habits are actually a gift from God. We, we know as we study the brain that this is how the brain was designed to work. And we believe that God created us, so therefore we believe that God designed our brains to work this way. In his book, Charles Duhigg puts it this way, habits emerge because the brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort. In other words, God gave you an efficient brain. Uh, he says, left to its own devices... The brain will try to make almost any routine into a habit because habits allow our minds to ramp down. A habit allows you not to think about the thing you're doing, or even better, allows you to think about something more important. So in other words, when you were brushing your teeth this morning and thinking about something else, that's a good thing. That's a good gift from God. God's given you these, these habit-forming mechanisms in your brain so that the routine stuff in your life can get automated and your brain can be freed up to think about other things, other more important things. In fact, I'll kind of express that this way. Habits allow you to learn and grow. Habits allow you to move past simple things so that you can do more complex things. Now just think about this. Just imagine for a moment what a nightmare your life would be if God had not given you the power of habits. Uh, what we've been talking about, just getting up in the morning. So when you wake up in the morning, if every single day you had to figure out how to get dressed, how to make breakfast, how to brush your teeth, as if it was for the very first time, like you've never done that before, every single day, do you realize you would get nothing done? I mean, nothing would be accomplished. You, you couldn't remember those things. It wasn't a habit in your mind. How about this? You know, Tracy, 
our, our commuting you know, community, we all have to drive long distances. Imagine if every single day, every one of you and everyone else in Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop and everywhere else in the, the world that's going over that hill, imagine if everyone got in their car and they didn't have the ability to form habits. In other words, they're getting in their car Monday and it's the first time everybody's ever driven. <laughs> we would all die on the Altamont, right? <laughs> See, we need habits and habits are a good gift from God that he's wired into our brains that allow us to learn things and automate things so that we can learn and we can grow. But here's the thing. The Bible teaches us that like all good gifts from God that he has wired into our nature, habits have also been damaged by sin. See, we live in a broken, fallen world. Sin has entered our world and nothing works exactly the way God designed it. So say, God, he, he gave you this habit-forming mechanism so you could automate good behavior and constantly be growing and learning new behaviors. But when Adam and Eve chose to sin, you can read the story in Genesis 3, and sin entered the world, like everything else in this world, that habit-making mechanism got damaged. And as a result, you are not only able now to develop good habits, you also can develop bad habits. And if you think about it, this ability to develop bad habits is really a scary reality. Because again, remember what a habit is. It's an automated decision and it happens by rote. You don't think about it. This means that, that if you have made a sinful habit by making sinful choices along the way, at some point that sinful habit becomes automated, automatic. Have you ever noticed sometimes when you do things that you really didn't want to do at one level in your life, and you look back on that sin you've just committed, you realize I wasn't even really quite openly, honestly thinking about it. I was not kind of conscious as I did this. This happens all the time. That we're, we're not even consciously aware, maybe sometimes in those moments that we choose to sin. And when that happens, habits can become a source of habitual sin. Habits can lead to addiction. Now let's... Um, kind of set aside the sin category for just a moment. Um, I'm going to give you something a little more neutral, but an example of what I'm talking about here, how this can work in a direction that we, we may not even be aware of as we develop habits. I have a question for you. It's an honest question. I want you to honestly try to answer it. How many times do you think you look at your phone every day? Probably should ask some of you. How many times have you looked at your phone since the sermon started, huh? So how many times, just kind of take a guess in your mind, do you think you look at it 10 times a day, 20 times a day? What about 30? You think you look at it 30 times a day, 40? How many of you think you look at your phone 50 times a day? It's just, just you, or actually, if you don't want to talk about yourself, other people you know. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the, the data we have from a brand new study. It says that the average person reaches for their phone 85 times a day. And in fact, the study found that whatever you think it is, whatever number you pick for yourself, it's probably double that. <laughs> and if it's 85 times a day, that means you pick up your phone and you look at your phone about every 11 minutes during your waking hours. And here's the thing. Are, are you aware that most of the time when this happens, you pick the phone up and you're starting to do something with it before you even think about it? Have you noticed that? 
a psychologist at Nottingham Trent University named Sally Andrews, uh, who is the lead author of this study I've just referred to, says a lot of smartphone use seems to be habitual, automatic behaviors that we have no awareness of. And by the way, we're going to get into this a little bit more in the weeks ahead. And some of you know this, but this is exactly what the tech overlords in Silicon Valley intend to do with the way our phones work. They intend for you to pick that phone up and again and again and again and again, okay? So if you didn't know that, you need to learn that because it's, it's part of the design. And if you think about this pattern that happens, same thing really is true in all of the other habits in our lives. So like whenever you click the mouse or you pop open the fridge or you pull out a credit card or you pick up the remote, most of the time you do that kind of on autopilot. It's just a habit. And what this means is that many times, maybe much of the time, you either control your habits, or if you're not aware of them, your habits control you. This is what I want to do as we jump into this series. Uh, we're, we're talking some, and we're going to talk a little more about how habits work, and we're going to be doing this in the weeks that are in front of us, so there's more things I want to unpack for you than we can talk about today. And we're going to take some insights from Charles Duhigg's book. And then toward the end of the message, I'm going to briefly talk to you about four life-changing, four indispensable habits. And I want you to know ahead of time, I don't call those habits those things, like to hype them up. I call them those things because they are life-changing and indispensable. And every one of us as Christ followers should be practicing these in some way. So if you think about it, and there are people who have analyzed this. Every habit boils down to some simple, basic behaviors that if you do them long enough, they become habits. And then those habits, in turn, change you. And spiritual habits work the same way. Uh, so simple, so basic, and yet so essential to growth. And I want to kind of say, you know, on a sort of a side note, here's one of my concerns today uh, sometimes when we have messages like this, and maybe up to this point, even some of you might be wondering about this, very practical, very simple kind of messages. They can seem formulaic and can seem like we're just focusing on things we do. But I, I want you, as we talk about these things, to keep in mind the larger context, which is the gospel, which is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, which is what he continues to do for us in Christ, his amazing grace that saved us, that sustains us every day. Because if we lose sight of this, then this is just another self-help thing that can turn into ritual and routine, another box maybe to check on a religious list, and that's not at all what I'm intending. And so honestly, as part of that, we're going to wrap up today with a powerful reminder of God's grace as we end this service. We're going to gather together around the Lord's table. That's a 2,000-year-old habit, <laughs> tradition of God's church. Two very basic elements, bread and cup, that remind us of God's grace and God's love for us and that nourish our souls. So that's where we're headed. So I want you, again, just think about some habits you have. What are the first things that, that kind of come into your mind? Uh, how about bad habits? What's at least one bad habit that you wish you could shake as you begin 2020? I want you to write it down right now in your notes in real big letters and then pass your notes to the person next to you. No, we're not going to do that. Um, but I'm betting when I asked that question that some very specific things, at least one thing, came to many of our minds. 
something that you wish was no longer part of your life. And one of the things I want to say to you is you are no longer, or you are not alone in this. In fact, I think it's fascinating, even the Apostle Paul, who most of us think of as like the greatest Christ follower who ever lived, this this man who wrote most of the New Testament, uh, incredible missionary zeal. He planted church after church all across the ancient Mediterranean world. Even Paul had behaviors in his life that he struggled with. In fact, you have to wonder if he had a very specific habit in mind when he wrote these words. He confesses in Romans 7.15, I do not understand what I do. Just stop right here for a moment. Who has ever thought that or said that out loud? I do not understand what I do. He says, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And doesn't that sum all of us up at different times right here in these words? You know, there's no doubt you have some good habits in your life, but you probably have some habits that you'd like to change. And so it's this new year. There's so much potential. And I hope right now you are thinking and praying about the power of habit. And if we can just leverage that in our lives, how massive change can be possible for us. I want to give you a real life example of what we're talking about. This comes from Charles Duhigg's book. And there's a woman. This is a true story. Her name is Lisa Allen. And Lisa Allen was a a person who started drinking and smoking in her mid-teens. These became habitual behaviors. She she also struggled with obesity. She was chronically in financial debt by the time she was 30 years old. Her husband told her he was in love with another woman and he wanted wanted a divorce. And so she just kind of goes into crazy mode, including showing up drunk on the new girlfriend's porch, banging on the door, yelling she's going to burn the place down. And thinking uh, that a change of scenery might help, she remembered that she'd always wanted to go to Egypt. Seems kind of random, but she thought about this, and so she maxed out another credit card, and she flew to Cairo. And the first few days that she was there, she just stayed in her hotel room, smoking, drinking, binge eating. But then she got sick of that, and she decided, you know, I'm here. I've always dreamed of this place. I want to see the pyramids. I'm going to do that. And during the drive there, she was looking out at this vast Egyptian desert and this goal formed in her mind. She said, someday I'm going to trek through this desert. But she knew she was terribly out of shape. And so she decided while she was in Egypt that she was going to quit smoking. And she successfully did that. How? Now, this is going to sound very simple, but don't confuse simple with easy. Whenever she felt the urge to smoke, instead of reaching for a cigarette, she reached for her running shoes. Instead of doing what she had done for half her life, she developed a new habit just by replacing one object with another. And she just kept those shoes close by, knowing the cravings were going to come. And as she did this over time, she reprogrammed an old bad habit. She turned that into a good, new, helpful habit. And here's why the experts said she did the right thing. And as you're going to see in the weeks ahead, this is exactly in principle what the Bible tells us to do in our spiritual lives. Experts say every habit has three components. And Charles Duhigg calls this the habit loop. Every habit begins first with a cue. 
And a cue can be any number of things. It might be a time of day. It might be a certain place. It might be an emotion. Uh, all kinds of things. But something cues in us a desire, a craving, a de- wanting to do something. Just one simple example. Duig talks about a habit of his. While he was writing this book, he, he noticed that every day at 3 p.m. in the office building where he worked, almost right on the hour, he would experience a craving for a cookie. Anybody else have a 3 p.m. habit? You know, um, I've heard some people say it's like coffee or something like that. But um, he, he would have this craving for a cookie. And so he would go to another floor in the building. There was a break room. You could buy a cookie, and he'd buy a cookie. And there were other people there, and they'd hang out and talk for 15 or 20 minutes as he ate the cookie. So there was this cue. And that led to the second component, which is the routine. And for him, it was, you know, eating the cookie in the break room with his coworkers. For Lisa Allen, in her case, in the past, she would smoke. But that got replaced with running. And then finally, there's the reward. And the reward, again, can be many things, a sense of satisfaction or pleasure or release or accomplishment, on and on, whatever the habit leads to. Now, I'm confident that if you look at your life and think about habits in your life, maybe even that bad habit I invited you to think about, If you do that, I think you will pretty easily, very quickly be able to identify those three components. You'll be able to think about the cue when that craving comes. It happens in certain times and places and situations. And it's typically the same thing, right? And then the routine as you carry the habit out and then the reward. And and so you need to understand these components or this loop. This is like the gears of a habit, And this is crucial because once you identify this, once you know what's going on, now you have an opportunity to work at adjusting or changing or stopping that habit. So let's go back to that 3 p.m. cookie habit that Charles Duhigg had. How do you change that? Well, interestingly enough, and probably not what I, it's not what I first thought, maybe you didn't either, he realized that the reward he was getting was not the cookie. The reward he was getting was actually talking to coworkers, hanging out. He, he wanted that change of pace from the work he was doing. And so he, what he did was he changed some components of the routine. I didn't mention this, but he was starting to gain weight because he's eating a big cookie every day. And so he decided to adapt this by changing... Uh, Health to healthy snacks. So he brought fruit or, or, or some vegetables, you know, that he could eat with him to work. But he then took those to the break room where he got the reward of hanging out and talking to his coworkers. So he changed part of his habit. He still got to experience the socializing that he was seeking. This was actually the same thing that Lisa Allen did by simply replacing the cigarettes with the running shoes. And here's the thing. Once that running habit started and became developed in her life, it started a snowball effect in her life. I'm going to give you a word. I'm not going to talk about it, but I want to plant the seed of it. We're going to talk more about it later. Uh, What happened here is known as a keystone habit. Uh, We've talked about this a few years ago here at Southlands. Probably wouldn't remember that, but we're going to talk about it more. But But there are certain habits in our lives, when we change those habits, they usually have reverberating effects that go out into other areas of our life. And that's what happened to Lisa Allen. She started to care more about how she ate because she was running. 
And because she was getting exercise and eating better, she started sleeping better. Interestingly enough, she started managing her money better. Eventually, as she did this, she lost 60 pounds. She started competing in half marathons, then she was running full marathons. And all of this happened because she changed one component in one habit of her life. Her life was radically changed. Well, that brings us to really kind of what the big idea of today's message is. And if you don't get anything else, I hope you'll get this. You can write this down. Habits are either powerful friends or dangerous foes. Good habits can be your best friends. But bad habits are ferocious enemies. And I think most of us know this from our own lives. You know, the more entrenched a habit becomes, the greater the impact it has on your life. That's why Paul says in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And it's true. You keep sowing the same behaviors. You will reap a harvest either for better or for worse. Now, I want to be clear as we're talking about this. I'm not saying that you are simply the sum of your habits. The good news of the gospel is that God's redemptive work is always going on. And so there's this mystery of his care, his grace in our lives. And we can change. But generally speaking, we are never less than our habits either. We do reap what we sow. And sometimes the harvest is awesome. Other times, the harvest is utterly heartbreaking. I recently heard someone tell a story in another part of the Bay Area uh, of running into a particular person, just meeting this person. They didn't know him before, but kind of casually in a social setting. You know that thing that sort of happens sometimes, and you just meet somebody, and you start talking, and they talk for about a half hour, and this person said that the person they met was a really nice person. They kind of hoped that maybe they would get to meet them again as they lived their lives. But then he said a week later, he learned that his new friend had overdosed and died. And it was just a heartbreaking thing. Um, He talked to a friend of his who understands addictions. And this person, this friend said, addictions are patient, very patient. And in this man's life, circumstances found their way, and the addiction took advantage of the opening, and he never expected it to happen, but he succumbed to his habit, and he ended up dying. Experts nuance the difference between habits and addictions, but what's important for us to know today is this. I think if you are here today, and some of you are, you're battling addiction You need more than just good information or just some advice from a good book. You need recovery. You need help. And by the way, if you don't know this, we have a wonderful, amazing ministry called Celebrate Recovery that meets every Friday night. And I'm looking across this room, and as I do, I'm seeing numbers of you that are part of this. And you would be able to tell the people around you how God has changed you and how God is changing other people as as we are together in recovery. Not only that, we have support groups of a number of kinds that meet throughout the week, especially uh, on Wednesday nights. You're going to hear some more information about this at the end of the service. We have something called Care Night. Um, I would invite you to take advantage of these opportunities. Uh, These are places where God can work through others in you to change habits. 
But it's also true that some of us might need medical care to deal with you know, what is a physical chemical dependency. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, to talk to our pastors. And we are prepared to point you toward help. Uh, don't become a statistic. The longer you wait, whatever the habit is, if it's negative, the greater the toll. Now, some of you are hearing this, and you're thinking, well, that's not me, and good thing, good for you. Um, But you know what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are all addicts, one way or another. We are all addicted to sin. Uh, Think about this. Why do you think it's so much easier to start and stay in a bad habit than a good habit? Isn't that true? We are naturally born sinners. Our nature is fallen, and it's always easier to roll downhill. You know, establishing great habits in our lives is so important. I mean, why in the world would we not want to do that? But again, what we're talking about most here is of a spiritual nature. You see, I know where a lot of us are at the beginning of a new year, and I just want to remind us, our, our greatest need is not to be skinnier or to have a better rear end (laughs) or to manage our money better please let me remind you our greatest need and your greatest need is to find life in Jesus Christ and to grow in his grace see you don't have to be a slave to sin if that is where you are right now Jesus died to break the chains of sin. Jesus took your guilt and took your shame and he even took your bad habits and he nailed all of those to the cross with him. And then he rose from the grave to prove that he is Lord over all, to show us that there is no power in heaven or on earth greater than his power. His power is greater than all of your bad habits. And this is why the Apostle Paul boldly proclaims in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, and that includes you. And I hope you hear the word of the Lord today. I hope that you see this is about God's help, not self-help. It is about the power of the gospel in our lives. Having said that, Does God invite us to cooperate with what he's doing in our lives? Absolutely. And you don't have the power in yourself, but you do have the choice about whether or not you're going to tap into God's power. Uh, I heard a long time ago a great illustration of this. It's like if you're sailing, you know, and you're on a lake or the ocean, you don't have the power to cause the wind to come. You do have the power to raise your sail. And that's what habits are about. Now, with all of this said, along these lines, I want to share briefly with you four very basic but very indispensable habits. And for some of you, I know this won't be new information. I hope you're going to be able to say, praise God, this has become a habit in my life. And if that's true, that's evidence of God's grace in your life. But for some of us, this will be new. Or maybe we're struggling in some area, and this may challenge us to seek God's help and to begin something new in our lives in 2020 or some of you know all about all this and you used to do these but you're not now and you need to begin a new habit again so whatever place you are in 
If you make these habits a reality, they will change your life. So let me, let me tell you where we begin in terms of developing godly, spiritual, righteous, holy habits in our lives, four indispensable habits. The first habit is this, starting with Jesus. Starting with Jesus. Now, this can be done in a number of different ways. You start your day with Jesus. You start your commute with Jesus. Before you make that important decision, you start with Jesus. Before you have that emotional conversation, you start with Jesus. You start with Jesus before you eat all that food you know you shouldn't eat. You start with Jesus before you drink, before you buy. You start with Jesus before you travel. You start with Jesus before you give up. You start with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the first thing about God. Then start with Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Everything starts and ends with Jesus. Do you start with Jesus? Is this a habit in your life? Do you begin with him? Some of you may remember hearing the prayer of St. Patrick that includes these words. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down. In other words, invite Jesus into every area of your life. Are you doing that? If you're not, begin today. Start with Jesus. And some of us, we, we have our lives so together we think everything's all dialed in. But if you do not find your meaning and your purpose in Jesus, you are missing out on what is the best thing in this world. What is the reason that God has put you on this planet? You know, Paul, he could have looked at a lot of things that, to be proud of in his life. I mean, he had so many accomplishments. I mean, he was just an impressive person. But he says this, Philippians 3.8, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If this is not a habit in your life, here's what I want you to do right now. I just want you to write something down so you can look at it later and just write this, these words down. I will start with Jesus. You can add what comes after that later, but write it down. I will start with Jesus. And here's the thing. When you do that, that, that first habit, the, the next habit just kind of flows naturally out of it. The second habit is listening to God's word. Listening to God's word. I mean, think about all the time we spend, especially now in our world, absorbing every information, like every 11 minutes, right? But is there anything more important than hearing the information truth that God has to say to us. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly? Is that your experience? Are you listening to his word? Romans 12.2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. You could easily substitute the word habits for pattern. But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Some of you want to know what God's will is for your life right now, right? But you're not reading God's word. 
How do you have any hope of understanding his will? When your mind is transformed and you think not like the world, but you think more like God, you have a better hope of understanding what God wants you to do. See, taking God's word and listening to it, it literally transforms your mind. And by the way, um, one of the ways that you can think of leveraging a habit that you already have, this habit with your cell phone, like every 11 minutes, you say, well, I don't do that. Okay, every 15 minutes. <laughs> what if you begin to leverage that habit of looking at your phone with something that might make it worthwhile? Um, if you don't already have this app on your phone, you need to get it. It's called Uversion. It's free. It's an app that has hundreds, literally, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of Bible versions in multiple languages, all free. Uh, you can get them to send you verses of the day if you'd like to do that. There are thousands, not exaggerating, thousands of reading plans, weekly reading plans, monthly reading plans, annual reading plans, all kinds of reading plans, all free. Work that into your daily life. Automate it. Make it a habit. And over time, the message and the truth of Jesus Christ will permeate and will transform your mind and your heart. And it will transform the way you look at the world and think about the world and the way you actually then live your life. We're going to talk more about this in depth in the weeks ahead. But Jesus doesn't want the conversation with him to be a one-way conversation. And so the third habit is called talking to God. In other words, prayer. This was clearly a habit in Jesus' own life. Luke 5.16 says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Does that surprise you? I mean, wouldn't you think of all the people who ever lived, Jesus didn't need to pray, right? Well, apparently he did. A lot. And he prayed so much that it was this known habit in his life. I, I kind of think if the apostles were to look around, the disciples look around one day and say, where's Jesus? They would probably think he must be off somewhere praying because that's where he always was. And therefore, if Jesus felt that much of a need to pray, how much more do we? Here's a brief verse that would be great to memorize in this regard. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. See, prayer is a habit. That's a description of a habit. You devote yourselves to it. Now, again, we don't have uh, time today to dive into the how of this, but we're going to look at it later. I will say this. If, this is, if prayer is not a habit in your life, then start small. Um, you can pray the Lord's Prayer. How many of you pretty much think that you could recite the Lord's Prayer pretty close to what it says right now? You just could, even if you haven't looked at it. We've all heard it so much. Well, that's a model prayer. You can do that any time of the day. You can pray that prayer and don't just recite it, but let it be a model for you and you spin off into some other areas from the words of that. Now, we've taught um, of an outline of, of prayer before. There's a number of these. as the ACTS Acts outline, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Uh, you can follow something like that. You can pray for a few moments as your day begins. Remember, starting with Jesus. And then um, you can pray as your day ends. This would be something to do. I mean, in other words, figure out what works for you. Don't give me the lame excuse, I don't know how to do this. Just do something. Just start. God will guide you and you will grow. Um, some of you may remember we spent 
almost two whole months at the beginning of 2019, 40 days of prayer. If you want to go back and review some in-depth teaching, that's all on our website. You can watch or listen to those messages again to help you. And, and let me just say, don't get discouraged if this habit is a struggle sometimes. If you've tried to pray before and you feel like you've not succeeded, don't give up. Try again. In fact, if, if I just described you, I want you to write that down in your notes. Try again. Some of you need to write that down in your notes. You're, are you listening to me? Because <laughs> I know some of you are going, oh, I've tried this before, Mike. Well, try again. If that's you, write that down. Try again. You know, I, I've been uh, what you might call a professional Christian for over 35 years. <laughs> you know, I've, I've got all the seminary training, earned my Ph.D. I enjoy studying Greek and Hebrew and reading commentaries about all this minutia about the Bible, and yet the truth is I still lapse sometimes in these areas. Now, some of you go, oh, I, I don't. Okay, good on you. <laughs> if that's true about you, uh, praise God for that. You didn't just fall into that. It's evidence of God's grace in your life. And if that's true of you, you know the power of these habits. But if you struggle to be as consistent as you like to be, would you just take what we're talking about as God's gentle New Year nudge that it might be time to start again, to renew these habits again, start a brand new habit, restart a former habit. Just ask God for the power to put this into practice. That leads to the fourth and uh, indis indispensable life-changing habit, which is gathering with God's people. Interesting thing about this one, because I know some of you, I could feel it. You know, I feel the force, Okay. Some of you just went, huh, that's all? Then you got anything better than that? No, I don't. I don't have anything better than coming to church. I, I think this is the habit most of us take lightly. I think a lot of us right now think, eh, it's all right. You can do it sometimes. If I miss a few weeks, eh. You know, a few years ago, there was a study done, a nationwide study of church attenders that revealed that um, as we're moving farther into the 21st century, people are, in general, attending church less frequently. And the study revealed that the average church attender went to church 1.8 times a month. This summer, another study was released, same topic, and it's now 1.6 times a month. And I know it's kind of quiet right now because some of you feel bad and guilty and I don't know what, ashamed. And if you think I'm looking at you, I'm not. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm, you know, I, I don't blame it on me. But I just want to say this habit is not about keeping a rule. This habit is about, not about saying you're a better Christian or you're just closer to Jesus the more times you're in church. This habit is about realizing that God prioritizes the body of Christ and that God works in ways as his people gather that he doesn't when we're apart. And therefore it is indispensable, it is indispensable for those who follow Christ to regularly gather with others who follow Christ. And I'm not going to apologize for saying that. 
Because the Bible talks about this. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And yes, as going to church is a habit, not going to church is also a habit. And some of us have maybe kind of developed that habit. The writer says, But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Just think about what's being said here. How many of you would like to be spurred on toward loving good deeds? Would you just please raise your hands? You would like to be spurred on toward loving good deeds. You don't want to be spurred on? I'll give you time to get your hands up. Or at least to figure out, well, everybody else is raising their hand. I'm going to raise mine too. I don't want to look unspiritual. How many of you would like to do that to someone else, spur them on to love and good deeds? How many of you would like to receive or give encouragement? Do you realize what's being said here? I mean, for these things to happen, just to be real blunt, you have to show up. You have to be there. Now, I understand. I know some of us have to work on Sundays sometimes. I understand you travel, you go on vacation sometimes. We're not, we're not talking about some legalistic rule, you know, checking off a box. I'm not talking about that at all. What I am talking about, the issue here really is the casual choices that many of us make that often turn into habits of not gathering with God's people just because we have something else to do. And the issue here is really whether or not we have made gathering with God's people a priority in our lives. I just want to encourage you, would you be honest with yourself? Is this a habit? I'm kind of thinking, you know, like that illustration or that truth from the survey about the phone that if you think you look at your phone this much, the truth is you look at it this much. I think it works that way with attending church. Some of you think you attend church this much. And you actually attend church that much. That was nervous laughter, I think. Um, so be honest with yourself about where this, this is. If this is not a habit, what do you need to do to align your life more closely with what God's word teaches? Friends, we are called to community. Amen? We are the body of Christ. And there is something very powerful and unique that happens when the body comes together. And it will bless you. And it will bless others. So do not miss out on it for your sake as well as the sake of others. We're going to celebrate our togetherness as we close today. We're going to do this around the Lord's table. It's a 2,000-year-old tradition where two very simple elements remind us of his love for us. Remind us that he invites us to his table. And his table is where we find life. Life beyond the habits. Life beyond the hungers that we want to shake. Life that gives power and life that gives meaning to everything. Life that gives us hope in the midst of all that might cause us to despair. And so the words of Jesus spoken to all of his people, all you who hunger and thirst, will you come? Will you come? He says, come. All you who are heavy laden, will you come?